Hey everybody, I'm so glad that you're joining us right now for service online and on TV. I just love that we get to connect each and every week to worship together, to grow together and seek Jesus together. As you can see behind me, we are actually getting ready to worship together. Our team just got done rehearsing. And I just want you to know that we spent intentional time praying for you, praying for your families, and ultimately our time of worship together today. We prayed specifically that God would awaken our hearts and that he would reveal himself in mighty ways to you this weekend. Now, this week is the start of Holy Week, which traditionally begins with Palm Sunday. And really Palm Sunday begins the last week of Jesus' life here on earth. It's when we as Christ followers remember and celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, revealing him as the King. Now the scriptures tell us that Jesus made his way into town on a donkey and the people celebrated him, laying down their coats, waving palm branches because it's all they had. They shouted songs singing, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. How powerful is that? Now as Christ followers, let this moment in scripture be a reminder to you that we are called to lay all that we are and all we have before the Lord, praising Jesus as King in our lives. Now, as we begin our time of worship today, I just want to invite you to read this Psalm with me to prepare our hearts to praise the name of the Lord together. Would you read this along with me? It'll be on the screen. Praise the Lord, praise God in the sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens, praise Him for His acts of power, Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord.
Well, hey friends, as we continue our Lenten journey together, I wanna encourage you to just take full advantage of the week that we're about ready to step into. Holy Week in the Christian calendar is uniquely shaped to help us step directly into the story of Jesus and to journey with him through the various conversations and situations that he encountered in his final week. And we can walk with him all the way to the cross, all the way to the empty tomb, where we marvel at his love and his power. Now we've been talking about practices for body, mind, and spirit uh, really throughout 2021. And Holy Week is a great chance for us to lean into a great spirit practice. It's a practice that we've talked about several times already in the past year, a practice called the prayer of examine. And so I wanna just encourage you to set aside space and time to allow God to search your heart, your mind, and see what we need to hand over to the authority of Jesus. The rhythm of praying the examine is powerful. And just as a quick refresher, uh, there are five prayer movements or prompts in the prayer of examine. The first prompt is thanksgiving, to ask the question, what in your life is worthy of gratitude and thanksgiving? It's a great practice to articulate statements of gratitude and praise for what God has done in our lives. The second prompt is petition. And we, we all bring real needs into our prayer time and the scriptures give us great permission to take those needs before the Lord. So ask the question, where in your life do you need God's power and intervention? The third prompt is review. Now this is really the, the beating heart of the prayer of examine, where you spend time reviewing the last 24 hours of your life and to do so with an openness to the Spirit's leading to show you the areas where you need to do maybe a little bit more processing. You know, was there a conversation in your life that went sideways? Was there an anxious thought that held you captive? Was there a victory that you need to circle back to and celebrate? You know, review doesn't have to all be bad. The fourth prompt is response. What tangible steps do you need to take following your time of review? What is God asking you to do? Now this could be circling back and working out a misunderstanding with that conversation that went sideways, maybe asking forgiveness of a friend or a coworker. It could be setting up a connection with a trusted friend for some accountability. What, what is God asking you to do following your time of review? And then finally, take a moment to look ahead at the next day and ask the Lord to empower you to live as he would want you to live so that you might be a shining representative of Jesus. I encourage you to use this prayer rhythm regularly, but particularly as we enter this Holy Week, allow Holy Spirit to do good work in your life as we approach Good Friday, as we approach Easter. Allow the words of David to provide a good examined framework for you this week, where he writes, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Amen. Amen.
Hey friends, I'm so excited for us to step into this next conversation of Cross and Crown. It's a journey that we've been on through the book of Mark, looking at the story of Jesus as he reveals his authority and moves toward his cross. And this week, we find ourselves looking at something called Holy Week. It's the week that starts with a day called Palm Sunday and moves us toward a day called Good Friday, the day when Jesus is crucified and gives himself for us. It is really a day that starts with the crown of Jesus in a coronation moment and ends with the cross. That week, moving from crown the cross. And so today we're going to look at three different moments that we come across in that first holy week. Three different moments that reveal the heart of God and three different moments that reveal the heart of people. Three different moments that invite us to connect with God and others and our purpose in ways maybe we've never anticipated. As I said, I'm really looking forward to this conversation, and we're going to begin it in Mark chapter 11. So you can go ahead and click or turn there in whatever scriptures you're using. As you're getting ready for that, uh, I was thinking the other day, I was reflecting on some of what this time of year reminds me of. As many of you know, I grew up in the desert southwest on, on a little dirt farm of a ranch with my siblings and grandparents. But one of my very favorite days every year, it only came once or maybe twice a year, was the day that began with me spotting my grandfather putting on his great big beekeeper's helmet. Now, if you've never seen one, it is a big plastic helmet with a really wide brim and a net or mesh or a veil that goes all the way around it and is weighted on the bottom so that bees don't sting you too much when you're going about the harvest of honey. And so on those days when I would see my grandpa in his great big beekeeper's helmet and putting on his big white goatskin gloves and whatever bright shirt he could find and heading out to the beehive, I knew it was gonna be a good day. It was harvest day. It was the day when we were gonna get fresh what I really loved about those days in particular is that when grandpa was done doing the work of harvesting the honey, after he had salved some of his many wounds, he would invite me to go sit with him on the porch. We didn't get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time together, so it was really special for me. We would sit there on the steps of his porch and he would bring out fresh honey and fresh honey comb for us to share together. Man, I miss those days, not because of the honey, but because of those moments together. Now, that story actually has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about here in a moment. But I want you to set Grandpa and his beekeeper's uniform aside for just a moment. Have you found Mark chapter 11 yet? <clears throat> Now, what's happening leading up to this point is that Jesus is preparing to enter Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city of kings. Jerusalem, the city where Jesus will be crucified. You see, Jesus intentionally enters into the city knowing he's about to declare himself as king and also knowing he is moving toward his cross. Now, 
all of that wasn't as clear to everybody on this particular Sunday where we're picking up the story. But Jesus has just told a couple of his disciples to go on ahead and find a young donkey. And so they do. They find a donkey's colt that has never been ridden before. Jesus is getting ready to paint a picture of him as king. He's about to remind us that he is at once truly king. But he's a humble king. The kind who would ride into town as a king, but on a donkey that had never been ridden before. It's a reminder, as we've seen throughout the book of Mark, that Jesus is at once one with all authority, but he's also the humble one who stepped into humanity for our rescue. All of that, all of that seems to come into laser focus on that first holy week. So here's where we pick up the story in Mark chapter 11, verse 7 and following. It says, when they, the disciples, brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those branches are why we call this Palm Sunday, by the way. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, so that it's not lost on us, what we need to understand is that Jesus is intentionally allowing himself to be declared and is declaring himself as the one true king. In fact, the people who are watching this happen, who are walking ahead of him and coming behind him and shouting Hosanna, are quoting lines from a psalm that are used to declare the coming of God's anointed and rescuing king, one called Messiah or Christ. And as they are doing that, they're shouting Hosanna, which is a word that encapsulates this term of praise and adoration, but is also a request to rescue us now. And so I I want you to picture this moment where Jesus is coming, the crowd is at a fervor, and they're declaring, this is our king. Here he comes in fulfillment of all of God's greatest promises. And then they strip off their outer cloaks and start to cast them on the ground before him. Now, this is not just some frenzied mob who's losing their minds, but what's happening is really significant. Because you see, the outer garment that somebody had in that day and age was likely the most valuable piece of clothing they had, if not the most valuable item they had. That outer cloak was their bedroll and their sleeping bag. It was their pillow and their prayer area. It was also something that was used to identify them. So that even when they were a long ways off, you could tell who was coming just by the outer garment that they were wearing. Their cloaks could be used to discern what their status was, what their job was, even what family they were a part of. And so when we see them casting their cloaks down in front of Jesus, they're revealing to us something that we need to know as we step into this holy week. It's that we are more than what we put on. We are more than what we put on. Now, most of us, we may not put on great fancy cloaks that tell all the story about us, but we all put on other things. We all put on the things that we think give us significance. 
Maybe we want to be known for our family life as people of wealth or prestige, of influence. Maybe we try to be known as the smart one or the funny one or the caring one. We might call it a personal brand. Whatever it is, we all have these elements of life that we try to put on and carry around with us. In a sense, that's what's being seen here before Jesus as people are taking off what they've put on. They're casting it down before him and declaring Jesus alone is the one who gets to pull those things and call them to life. They are submitting all of who they are to all of who Jesus is. And the reminder that we are more than what we put on is significant and substantial for us. It's a beautiful moment. It's one that if the story ended there, man, we could rest well knowing that God was at work. The story doesn't end there. In fact, we're going we're gonna to move to the second moment. Palm Sunday is the first moment. The second moment is later on in the week by a few days on a day called Good Friday. That Good Friday is the day of Jesus' execution. It's a day where another crowd is gathered. And this time the crowd has been turned against Jesus, standing in stark and purposed opposition to his crown. It's here that when we interact with the story, we discover that there are two crowns at play. There's the crown of the Jesus kingdom, and then there's the crown of of the human kingdom belonging to a man named Caesar. And in these moments, we start again to see what's in the heart of man and also what's in the heart of God for us. So as we pick the story back up, what's happened is that we've zoomed past moments of intrigue and moments of betrayal. We've zoomed past an illegal trial for Jesus and we've zoomed past beautiful moments of anointing and adoration. We've zoomed past conflict and teaching to this space where now Jesus stands before the Roman governor, a man named Pilate. You see, the people had put him on trial illegally. They had brought forth false witnesses and accused him of crimes he didn't commit. And so now the leaders want to end Jesus' life, but they need the help of the state to do it. Pilate, standing before Jesus, realizes that he is innocent, that he hasn't done what he's been accused of, and he does not want to proceed with his death. So he tries to find a way to at once appease the crowds, but also allow Jesus to go free. So he offers to let Jesus go free without declaring him innocent. That's not good enough. And here's what happens as we pick up the story in Mark chapter 15, verse 12. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him. They shouted, why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. 
So here's what happens. There are people, some of which had been in the very same crowd earlier in the week, declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Here comes the rescuing king that God has promised long ago. And now, just a matter of days later, they are demanding that Jesus be crucified, shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Let Jesus suffer a death reserved for the worst kind of criminals. What's happened? What has happened that would move people from Hosanna to crucify him? And Pilate moves on with the crucifixion from that point. It is a tragic moment. One that Jesus knew was coming. One that Jesus is actually turning on its head for the sake of his greater kingdom. But again, it's one where we start to see in greater contrast the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of man standing next to one another. What are we to do with this? What, how did we get here? What has transpired that these people would move from declaring Jesus as rescuing king to demanding his death? Well, I think part of the answer is actually seen in a third moment, in a third scene that week. It's one that happens between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. It's one that happens in those intervening days. And there were a lot of events that happened there. But it's one that that we almost walk right past. So it's not one that has a cool name like Palm Sunday or Good Friday. So for the purposes of our conversation today, we're going to have to give it its own special name. So I thought we could name it after everybody's favorite day of the year, tax day, okay? That's going to make sense here in a moment. So again, in this moment, before the cross, but after Jesus is hailed as king, the leaders around Jesus are again trying to position Jesus to get in trouble. They're trying to trap him. You see, Jesus was actively receiving people who used to follow the leaders, and now they were following Jesus. The way of Jesus might cost them their influence and and the lifestyle that they knew. So they begin actively working to end the life and ministry of Jesus. One way they know to do that is if they can trap him in public by asking him questions that he answers poorly. Now, what they don't know about Jesus, but we do, is that he does all things well and he never answered poorly. But in this moment, they ask him a question about paying taxes. In fact, they ask it basically this way, which is, Jesus, what do you think about whether or not we should pay taxes? Should we pay taxes to the kingdom of Caesar that is only here to crush us and destroy us? Should we pay taxes to this unlawful occupying force who has taken everything we know and is using and abusing us? And they know that Depending on his answer, Jesus will either incite the crowd or he will move the leaders, the the authorities to action. On the one hand, the crowd may become a mob. On the other, Jesus may be moving into criminal territory. And here's where we pick up the story. Again, in Mark chapter 12, on tax day, it says, But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. 
bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription is on it? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. This is an incredible moment. It's another one where these two crowns stand in contrast with one another. The crown of the, king, of the human kingdom and the crown of the Jesus kingdom. It's this incredible moment. The, the leaders ask, should we pay taxes or not? Jesus says, bring me a coin. And then he asks whose image is on it. You just saw this. His response is, give to the king what belongs to the king. And you know how you know what belongs to the king? His image is on it. And then he says, and also give to God what belongs to God. So if we know what belongs to the king because the king's image is on it, how do we know what belongs to God? Well, you see, the first hearers of Jesus would have known that you know what belongs to God by what bears the image of God. Now, I think the writer is nodding to the fact that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, to be sure. That's part of the conversation here. But those who were gathered, especially the religious leaders who knew their Bible backwards and forwards, they would know that in the scriptures, that thing which is said to bear and carry the image of God is you and me them. It's people. Somehow Jesus begins this conversation and shifts it to a place where he's saying it isn't about taxes. It's about how we interact with other people, how we view and interact with other people. You see, what started as a question of allegiance and where our taxes should go shifts to a conversation about making sure we view and serve people the way that God would have us do it. Jesus, to be sure, wants us to pay taxes. That's part of the point, but it's not the whole point of this interaction. You see, he reminds his first hearers, these who are around him in this moment, that we are to give to God what belongs to God, that we are to entrust to God that which bears his image. And the invitation for you, for me, and for them is then to trust God with every living person. Every human person bears the image of God. That is true regardless of their status, regardless of where they live, regardless of their sexuality, regardless of the color of their skin. It is true regardless of any of those things because they are human. They bear the image of God. They belong to him. And so we see these two crowns in contrast with one another. The invitation of Jesus is to walk in alignment with one or the other. And of course, he's inviting us to walk in alignment with his crown, the Jesus kingdom, the kingdom that views people in a very particular way. You see, the human kingdom, the human crown actually is afraid of people. 
it moves away from them. We see that throughout the conversation in the scriptures where the leaders are concerned about what the crowds will do and out of fear of them change course. Where Pilate, concerned about a mob or a riot, goes ahead and crucifies Jesus anyway. But Jesus, every time in operating under the Jesus crown and kingdom, he doesn't move away from people out of fear. He moves toward them out of compassion, moving them toward thriving. You see, Jesus always was with people, loving, serving, healing, providing. Even on his way into Jerusalem, as he's getting ready for that triumphant entry on Palm Sunday, stops along the way to touch and heal blind Bartimaeus. You can see that story at the end of Mark chapter 10. You see, Jesus in his kingdom is always moving toward people with compassion, not away from them in fear. You see, the the human kingdom, the Caesar kingdom, tried to use people to hold on to and get more power, but the Jesus kingdom uses authority and power to move people toward thriving. This is our invitation. And just in case we end up getting lost in this, I don't want us to sit out here in concept and not move toward practical connection with this. So I invite you to pause even now And ask Holy Spirit to reveal to you how your view and interaction with people reveals what's going on in your heart and the kingdom that you are pursuing. Is it one marked by compassion or retreat and fear? Is it one marked by holding power or offering hope and life to others? You see, to be sure, there are these two kingdoms in contrast with each other. And where that week started to go sideways, I don't think was on tax day. I don't think the week started to go sideways even on Good Friday. I think the week started to go sideways way back on that first Palm Sunday. Not long after Jesus had walked through on that donkey's coat. Not long, cult, not long after that colt had walked atop the coats of others. You see, when the crowd had started to break up and Jesus was now further down the road, people turned and went back and picked back up the cloaks that they had cast before him and they put them back on. Now, I know those were significant, they were important, they were valuable. And it's not so much that they put on this valuable, warm piece of clothing, but I believe it's part of what that could have meant. That where a moment before they had said, Jesus, you alone are the one who gets to define the realities of my life. You alone are the one who gets to call these things to life. These things that used to define me. I instead want to be defined by you as my king. They went back and now their cloaks covered in dust and donkey dung and all worse for the wear, they put them back on. You see, the other part of what we need to understand here today is that we are more than what we put on. But what we pick up and put on reveals more than we know. 
I believe Jesus is inviting us to lay before him the things that we allow to define our life and trust him to bring them the fullness of life and purpose and intention. To trust him in those things. Yes, we can still have these good things of influence in life and family and purpose, but understanding that Jesus alone, when under his kingship and authority, he's the one who brings them to fullness. That's the invitation for us, not to put them back on and go about our daily lives as though nothing is different. Now, I want you to imagine my grandpa. You see, we would harvest honey on Saturday or Sunday of those weeks, and He had a day job working as a leader in a warehouse in town. So imagine him early Monday morning going into his closet and putting on his great white goatskin gloves and the big beekeeper helmet and net, getting into his quarter-ton little pickup truck and driving to town and showing up to work and interacting with the people there. Now, I bet some of them would have thought he was off his rocker. And what he could have done is he could have said, but guys, I'm a beekeeper. This is who I am. I keep bees. So you need to let me function at work wearing all of my beekeeping stuff because I'm a beekeeper. Now, my grandpa never did that because while he was a beekeeper, a beekeeper wasn't all he was. And you see, I think the invitation for us on this Palm Sunday, as we cast down the things that we have somehow let to come to define us, is that we would recognize that each of those bits and pieces of who we are, those things that are good things, they are not all of who we are. And that Jesus wants to invite us into fullness of life like we've never experienced before. So answer this question with me. What have you picked up or put on that Jesus' crown requires you to lay down. And as you reflect on that, I'm going to pray for us now. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for you and the gift of your crown, the gift of your compassion. I pray that you would lead us in the way of courage and freedom and compassion. Lord, that you would show us where we've been found using people for the sake of our own power instead of using our influence for the sake of people that you would show us where you are inviting us to live as people of compassionate courage. That you would show us, Lord, what it is that we've put on and tried to walk away with, that you're saying, no, no, I desire so much more for you than that. We ask this with expectation. We ask this with confidence in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
May this be our prayer tonight. Let's sing, Heal My Heart. And heal my heart and make it clean. And open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you loved me. And break my heart for what breaks yours. Shadows deepen. We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. And do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the 
so grateful for this journey that we have been on as we have been digging into the cross and crown of Jesus. Today, Palm Sunday, is one of my very favorite days. It starts off Holy Week, which encourages us to lean in more deeply into things like Pastor Jeremiah just spoke to, like processing what we have picked up or, or put on that Jesus requires us to put down, and how we treat others reveals our allegiance. So that means that Easter is next weekend. We are so looking forward to coming together through our different opportunities and times to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior as one church body. You can still join us online or through TV, but if you have been thinking about joining us in person, we would just really love to have you join us at our Easter in-person worship services. We are going to have three Easter opportunities at our Rock Island campus, and then three Easter opportunities at our Bettendorf campus. These are gonna be at special times of 8.30, 10, and 11.30. We invite you to save your seat for these services through the Church Center app and heritageqc.com. This is just really easy. You don't need to give us all the information for everyone in your party. All you do is you just give us a contact name, an email or a phone number, and the number of people in your party. Then we'll be able to make sure that there is room for everyone who would like to worship in person with us on Easter Sunday. We will also have kids worship opportunities that you'll need to register for as well so that we can be prepared for your children also. We are so very excited to announce that we are going into our next step of incrementally opening up Heritage Kids in-space services. So for Easter Sunday, we are going to have spaces available for kids that are four years old through fifth grade. That will be available at both locations and at all of those service times. If you have any questions at all about how to connect um, there, just please go ahead and call our church office and we will be happy to help you. Then beginning the Sunday after Easter and going forward, we will shift our Heritage Kids services from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. to serve even more families. 
then be on the lookout for some upcoming details surrounding an assortment of learning groups that will be launching after Easter. We will also be launching new life groups that's really gonna provide places for you to build deeper connections. Church family, we love you and we are so grateful for you. We are so very excited that Easter is next weekend, but we are also excited for the opportunity to interact with you in our spaces. We are praying for you and we pray that you have a wonderful Holy Week.